You're listening to Emmy Award-winning host Jordan J. Adams. We have a very informative show in store for us today, especially if you're an athlete or are interested in sports performance. Uh, we're talking about a guy who has his master's from Purdue University in biological sciences and exercise physiology. He also has a master's from the University of Vermont in nutritional sciences. And he uh, has a doctorate of physiology in exercise and earned his postdoctoral fellowship from Washington University School of Medicine. It is a heavy hitter we got in store for us today. It's time for us to make our fighting weight. And let's welcome to the show Dr. Paul Arciero. Paul, how are you? Jay, I'm doing fantastic, and thanks uh, for inviting me. I'm really excited about this. I am too. It's it's really uh, exciting for us to be able to to talk to somebody who, you know, who has such horsepower in the nutrition and exercise space. So we know we'll get some real high end information. So if you would please uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you get into nutrition and exercise physiology. You know, I, I'm asked this question a lot, and um, at first I used to be a little bit hesitant, a little bit embarrassed to, to talk about it, but um, I've, gr I've gr grown through that, and the reason is is because when I came into it, you know, it was very selfish. It was egocentric. I wanted to find the answer to help me perform at a higher level. I was a, a tennis player growing up, played all through college. I even played over in Europe. Uh, played on the satellite tour over in Europe, and man, my nutrition knowledge was just egocentric. It was how could I play better? Um, but you know what I found? I found over time that uh, I was more fulfilled. I, I got more out of my ability to understand how to maximize my performance by sharing it with others. And so, listen, this is a total treat, a total joy for me to be able to do the same now. And so I've committed myself to my professional career to finding as many answers as I can now, not just for myself, but of course, you know, for my loved ones, my family, um, and, and people I, I consult with. And so this is, uh, this is where it's at, and this is what drives me. This is what motivates me. So my nutritional questions are, are just uh, fueling the fire for everybody else along with myself. Well, you know, when you look at all the sheepskins you've piled up in the space, uh, you know that it's a real passion because it takes so much work to uh, to get through. I mean, just to get a bachelor's, it takes so much work. So with all those masters and, of course, the doctorate, we know you love this space. So let's take advantage of your scientific background and apply science today to help our fighters and, indeed, all athletes learn the absolute best fuels for their body uh, that would help their sports performance. Absolutely. I mean, that's essentially what it's about. You're right. I mean, for fighters who are uh, at the extreme end of conditioning, the extreme end of, of exercise intensity, I mean, when you watch these guys, it's just so inspiring to, to see the level of output they're, they're generating um, constantly. And so nutrition is fueling it. You know, the best trainer, I tell people all the time, listen, um, nutrition trumps exercise all the time. And, and these guys know that firsthand, that the, the, their ability to generate what they do every day, day in and day out, is fueled by the nourishment that they're putting into their body. So uh, this is what I've devoted, exactly, this is what I've devoted my life to, and um, this, is what, uh, this is what fires me up. So I'd love to dive into it. Well, uh, <laughs> there are essentials of nutrition, and there are essentials that we should know. Um, you know, I think all of us know we've heard protein, we've heard complex carbs, we've heard hydration. How does it all kind of come together, like when and how? I've heard timing is a big thing. So how does it all come together in terms of putting it all together into one protocol? Yeah. Uh, listen, a little question for you. Small little question, yeah. We got a, we got a year to figure this out, right? Um, no, there there really are some basic tenets to this, and I would say that the best starting place uh, for for people is is what they're doing when they first wake up. Um, you know, before we went on air, you and I had this little conversation about um, you know what we both do, but it, it serves. Uh, just as well for the highly conditioned athlete that you need to start your day with a low glycemic, complex, unrefined carbohydrate with that solid source of protein. And so for, for different people, you know, some people like to start off with a, with a meat type of a protein. Others want to start off with some uh, egg-based products. Some like to start off with um, pure whey protein or some other pure vegetable um, powder source of protein. But that has to be the, the starting point. And the reason is, is because your day has to start with that um, 
low sugar to prevent that high insulin spike so that your blood glucose is staying stable, um, but then also to put you in that state of fat oxidation, that state of fat burning that um, is so favorable. Why? Because it provides us that massive amount of energy that we need to utilize while we're, while we're performing. So there has to be that, that start to the day that is uh, low glycemic, unprocessed carbohydrates, and then that balance of that healthy lean protein source. So the start to the day is the key, for sure. And then throughout the day, are you also mixing your proteins with your carbs and oils, or do you skew paleo, or do you uh, skew carb vegetarian? What do you do throughout the day to maintain that high state of energy? Yeah. So I, let me just speak from a personal uh, research standpoint. So um, I was able to answer this question in a, in a group of uh, men and women. I was, in, I was intrigued by this concept of a little bit more frequent eating four to six times a day with this balanced ratio of carbohydrate protein to fat. And what I found uh, unquestionably, at least in my research study that was published in the journal Obesity, was that this frequent intake of this high-quality protein source, and for some people it was, it was a vegetarian source. They were doing pea, a combination of pea, hemp protein. Um, but for the majority of them, it was some type of whey protein based um, as often as they could, particularly when they were working out or after they worked out, um, or it was a combination of healthy protein with that level of oils that they need found in fish. So I'm, I'm a huge proponent of, of fish, whether it's sushi, raw fish, or, or some other form. Uh, but that balance of those healthy omega-3s with that high-quality source of protein along with those unrefined carbs was, was critical. So I am a proponent. I think the paleo is, is right on target. It's got that um, lean, healthy source of, of animal protein coming in with the uh, vegetables. Um, which is critical, and the healthy omega-3s that um, we know turns on protein synthesis inside the body. So my recommendation for people is, you know, there's this talk right now about um, whether timing is truly of essence uh, for people to maximize their performance. And I would say, personally, the higher level of training we achieve and we're striving for, the more timing plays a role. Um, so for, for athletes out there, and they, they know this, that they know that their timing of this um, high-quality source of protein around the time that they're training, particularly, is critical um, to fuel the, that muscle protein synthesis response. This question just came to mind because uh, it's been the, the edge that I've looked for for a long time. Uh, is it possible to maintain, and even more importantly, to increase lean body mass and to burn fat at the same time because my experience at least to date is that I can do one or the other. I can either put on muscle but I'm going to put on some fat too or I can cut you know, much like a bodybuilder would cut and, and burn fat and get the six pack but then everything else deflates. I can't keep my arms, I can't keep any kind of size. Right. Sort of one or the other. I can have kind of the marathon look and have a six pack or I can be kind of a big, thick, rugby-looking dude, but I'm going to yeah. have a belly, too. Can you do both? I want both. <laughs> Lean and jacked. Lean and jacked. Talk to me. I'm, I'm, listen, I'm going to give you a resounding yes. I mean, there's no question. I, I, I'll give you an example. Uh, back in September, uh, I had a woman come in who, was struggling, who had struggled with her weight um, her entire life, and she tipped the scales when she came to see me at over 200 pounds. She's now weighing 150, and she has gained more than 10 pounds of lean body mass. Wow. I'll say that again. She came in at 200, over 200 pounds. I just weighed her this morning because she's in a, a research study um, I'm conducting, and she weighed in at just barely over 150. So she's lost 50 pounds since September, but put on 10 pounds of muscle mass, lean body mass, and that's as measured by the DEXA. So the DEXA, the iDEXA is, you know, GE's, you know, state-of-the-art body composition analysis. And when you see results like that, um, in, in, a, in a woman who's 62 years old, by the way, mm. um, that raises some eyebrows. So, oh. yeah, I mean, it, it can be done. It can be done um, unquestionably. And, and the way to do it, so to kind of… Oh, you know that's what we're thinking. And you know that's my next question. <laughs> how? How do we uh, do it? Yeah. How you do it is by maintaining a constant flow 
of the things that we've just talked about. She's, she's on a, um, a whey protein supplement. Uh, it's a whey protein concentrate, but she's taken um, her healthy omega-3s. She's eating her you know, unprocessed uh, grains when she needs to, when she needs that uh, stabilization of blood sugar and that supply of, of glucose uh, flooding the muscles without a high insulin spike. And she's powering down you know, the, the, the leafy greens. So she's got the leafy greens coming in. She's got the root vegetables when needed and the, and the unprocessed legumes um, and other whole grains, quinoa, uh, but that, and, and then the whey protein. And so she's, she's doing it. Um, and she's not even, by any means, training at the level of, of, of a highly conditioned athlete. You know, she's doing a, a fairly reasonable um, level of, of, of exercise without overdoing it. So it, it can be done. Yeah, she's she's on probably a four to five time a day feeding pattern, um, but uh, hitting it when she needs to at the right time with the right foods. So let me try regurgitating it. No pun intended. Let me try regurgitating it and see if I've got the the protocol. Get up in the morning. Make sure you mix a nice protein with a nice slow stubborn carb with some good oil. Uh, start off not spiking that glycemic uh, blood so you're not starting that whole sugar roller coaster of you know needing to get that blood sugar up every hour and getting inflammation in the body so uh, protein and oil throughout the day with lots of fiber lots of greens and see if you can do it seven or eight times a day is that the formula to increase lean body mass to fat ratio that's the a number one formula uh, that, that's exactly what she's following and again you know, it, it, that feeding pattern is going to vary for, for levels of activity, um, but for people that want to maximize lean body mass in terms of lean, lean body mass accretion and fat burning, fat oxidation, um, what we call lipolysis, that is the answer. That more freq frequent feeding pattern, those healthy oils coming in, and I mentioned this to you also earlier that, you know, we oftentimes look at the healthy oils as that key player in reducing inflammation as providing us those essential oils that the cells of our body thrive on, uh, that, that allow uh, cellular processes to function a little bit better. But evidence is showing now that those, those healthy omega-3 fatty acids that we derive from things like flax and chia seeds and all the healthy fishy, um, fish oils, um, krill, though, that's actually linked to an increase in protein synthesis. So I, I know when you think about protein synthesis and the, and the, uh, the accumulation of lean body mass, uh, our immediate focus turns to the, the, the healthy protein, the, the, the complete, you know, the right 20 amino acid uh, proteins that we need to turn on, leucine, um, that we need to turn on lean body mass. Well, now we're finding evidence that if you provide other macronutrient players, in this case the omega-3 fatty acids, that's also helpful. So I'm, I'm a big proponent now, particularly in response to the evidence that I've shown in my laboratory, is recommending that lean protein that we're so accustomed to hearing about eating around our exercise regimen to also include omega-3 fatty acids. Yeah, novel, but uh, let's shake it up. I love it. And uh, that's, you know, that's uh, really good information. And I'm I'm sure there's a few people out there right now trying to rewind their Stitcher or rewind their iTunes to, to say, what did he just say? And if I heard it correctly, when you're taking in those good oils, those omega-3s, and you're taking in protein, we used to think that they were separate. We knew they were both good for you. But now to find out that they're more than the sum of their parts, if I'm hearing you correctly, so it's not one plus one equals two anymore. It's now a synergistic relationship. Is that correct? You nailed it. Synergistic. A absolutely. Yeah. And um, and ultimately, that's uh, what we're trying to get to. We're trying to get to the that that uh, special sauce mixture <laughs> um, that that does work synergistically. That's super additive. We call it in the scientific realm. So we want things to be super additive, not just in that right. That simple formula. Of, you know, this plus this is going to give us this. It's this plus this is going to give us twice as much as that and so yeah I think that's um that's part of the answer and, and, and I'm a you know big fan of uh, you know antioxidant mixtures um, along the way um, because those help quench those naturally uh, generated free radicals that we're generating when we exercise right so our body's gonna naturally come to the defense 
of those free radicals that are generated um, through which we um, uh, produce through the exercise we do, and, and that's a healthy response, right? Our superoxide dismutase and glutathione peroxidase, I mean, all those things are going to happen naturally uh, in response to when we exercise. But when we can provide a little bit extra of, of uh, whole food and, if, if necessary, supplementation of some of these um, antioxidants uh, to help fuel that process and nourish that uh, uh, self-defense system, uh, I'm a huge proponent of it. Because then what happens is it provides more opportunity for all of those favorable cellular responses, in this case muscle protein synthesis, anti-inflammatory responses, to occur a little bit easier. You mentioned um, uh, taking carbs and proteins together. Now, for some strict paleo people, uh, dumping those carbs into the system is a no-no because uh, you know where I'm going. Because mm -hmm. It's going to knock you out of ketosis. Yep. And uh, there's a lot of paleo guys who love running on ketones because they say they're more clear-headed, uh, more shredded, more just feeling better about the world. Um, where do you fall in, in the world in terms of running on glucose versus running on ketones? Yeah, great question. I'm glad you asked that. Listen, if it, if it's working right now, um, and that uh, you know the ketone uh, environment milieu is 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 what you're benefiting from. Um, I'd say I'd say stay at it. And, and again, when you're in that environment, uh, people who respond favorably to it know how to uh, tweak it. They they know how to perturb it just enough that in the case that they feel like they need uh, a little bit of, of glucose, they need a little bit of healthy um, you know carb uh, circulating through the body. Uh, they can do that, and they can they can balance that. Others, I think, it's a little bit more of of, of a uh, havoc that that occurs if they try to go paleo and they start to feel the the tank running on on e um, and they end up you know blowing it out by you know drinking a glass of orange juice or something so you know it's a little bit harder for those people so I would say it's got to be individual so here's my response though I think if if there are individuals that don't want to run into that complete ketosis um, uh, paleo type of a state right now the, the big buzz are dietary resistant starches and I'm doing research with it right now so I have some first-hand information and it is absolutely mind-blowing uh, stuff right now and when I, when I um, analyze the data and make my my glucose area under the curve charts you know what I'm getting at oh, and my, and my, oh this is here. we're breaking news oh this is breaking oh, news awesome. yeah and I don't want to let the cat out of the bag, of course, because yeah. it's not published data, but it, it's um, it's eyebrow popping for me because I'm seeing this firsthand. And this is in this is in you know people uh, every day walks of life. You know, women. I'm, right now, I'm testing it in primarily in women, but I have two groups of women that I've tested it in a group of um, what we would classify as obese women with body fats above 32 percent, and a group of lean women with body fat percentages of 26 percent or less. And so I put them under three different uh, regimens of these dietary resistant starches in combination with a few other ingredients that I'm just going to hold out, but I'll say that it's protein. And um, Jay, the evidence is, is compelling. I mean, to me, it's, it's eye-popping. And so here's my answer to your question directly, is that uh, without question, you can combine the right carbohydrates, in this case, the dietary resistant starches, with the right protein, and blow it out in terms of stabilizing your blood sugar, turning on fat oxidation, and increasing muscle protein synthesis. Absolutely. Ooh, wow. <laughs> yeah, that's good stuff. I, yeah, that's really good stuff. This is the holy grail because that's that edge that I was talking about. Finding that edge, I, I did the strict paleo. And yes, clear-headed. Yes, lost a lot of body fat. Fantastic. All the good things. My skin cleared up. Fantastic protocol. And then I bonked. And it was a bonk bonk, you know. Uh, the kind of bonk where you just know you're junky. And I did some carbs. I did a little carb backloading after a workout, and it was like magic. It was like magic. So I know there is some sort of blend. It's a blend. Yeah. It is a blend. You, you, you fine-tuned it. And people that have been doing it have a better uh, capacity to fine-tune that uh, process a little bit more. And so for people who want to um, take advantage of being able to enjoy, you know, what uh, an occasional carb uh, grain uh, on occasion and balance it with the protein uh, there's ways to do that and
At this stage, Dr. Arciero's PC didn't have the right combination of protein and carbs, and it bonked. We pick up the action. Uh, I am, uh, of course, uh, talking to Dr. Paul Arciero, who has a master's uh, from Purdue University in biological sciences and exercise physiology, has a master's from the University of Vermont in nutritional sciences, and he has a doctorate in physiology, the physiology of exercise, and in 1993 he earned his postdoctoral fellowship from Washington University School of Medicine. Thanks for being uh, with us again, Dr. Paul, for episode number two. Jay, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm looking forward to it, and I'm sorry about that uh, that bonking situation. <laughs> have you ever had bonking happen to you, by the way? Oh, have you ever yes. Yeah. I have, I have bonked to the point where I couldn't get my brain to work. Yeah. I was yeah. walking around like completely I, – I, I had no glucose or glycogen in my body at all. Like I, my brain, there's nothing, to, nothing for it to run on. Yeah. I, I was actually on my bike, so um, you can imagine the dangers of that. Miserable. Oh. Powerful. Well, let's talk about yeah. what we talked about in episode one. So in case someone is coming into episode two without hearing what we talked about, because there were some really cool things. You broke some news, some nutritional news. So it's, I, I highly recommend people go and check it out. We, we of course, talked about nutrition and exercise physiology. Uh, we applied science to illuminate what fighters and all athletes should fuel their bodies with. We talked about the essentials of nutrition. And... You know, I'm not going to say what we did, but it was it was amazing because there was current like cutting edge news in there that every athlete should know about. So check out episode one for sure. And right when the uh, when the battery was going out, I was about to ask you about bioenergetics, which is one of the courses you teach as a professor at Skidmore College. What what is bioenergetics? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. People ask that all the time. Uh, <laughs> You know, it's, it's the ability of the body um, to utilize the energy that is fueling the cells. So it's that um, uh, go between the nutrients and the energy that we have stored within the cell and manifesting it into a cellular response, utilizing it in terms of an actual uh, active, real-life uh, cellular uh, process in the body. So, you know, the study of bioenergetics is uh, being able to turn on uh, those, in, in most cases and for most people, beneficial cellular processes and cellular response and cellular activity in the body to generate energy for the body. So, uh, if I'm hearing you correctly, it is the actual, it sounds like it's a metabolism metabolizing type of question. I know that like in in you know forgive forgive my lack of experience in this field but with with cells I know there's a communication and there's actually a uh, kind of a processing where they're taking stuff in and they're excreting stuff as well. So is this the actual efficiency with which cells uptake energy? Yeah, absolutely. It's part of the the process of bioenergetics. It's uh, the conversion of energy in the cells into that usable cellular activity, that cellular function that our bodies need. So, um, yeah, I mean, when you think about it, every cell of the body is depending upon uh, a number of different energy sources, and it's the efficiency at which those energy sources are transformed into that usable form to generate uh, a cellular uh, response, a cellular process, a cellular activity, muscle protein synthesis, the ability of the cell to uh, oxidize carbohydrates and fats inside the cell. That's the process of, of bioenergetics. You might have given me a the good segue. Of energy, ATP. Oh, okay. Um, you might have given me a good segue. Maybe not. I might be off here. But is this related in any way to the flow state? The flow state? Is that what you said? Yeah, the flow state. Uh, you know, for me, when I get in that, I've only had it a few oh. times in my life where I could run for 12 hours without. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's a cool place to be in. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they they they, they, they find <laughs> more than I do. Yeah. Yeah, they. You know, it's often associated with um, you know peak performance. Mm. Um, you're right. The flow state. 
uh, a lot of extreme sport enthusiasts often get into that flow state. You know, in sports psychology, it's all about being in the flow. Um, that effortless, you know, movement that we all have. I'm a tennis player, and so... You oh, know, let me it, interrupt you. Dude, because this is the perfect... I just got to say this. I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Wayne Dyer. Sure. Okay, well, yes. Wayne Dyer has this wonderful treatise on tennis in flow state, and he talks all about this one night of flow that just happened. It unfolded where he could not not get to the ball, where he was moving without moving, where he didn't need to tell his body to move. He said it was magical. He could have beaten he could have beaten Federer on that night. <laughs> well, I don't know if That's that. good. Yes. He felt like he could. <laughs> he felt, oh, you do. Oh, it's it's supreme. Um, you know what? I will go as, so far to say that it's that. Um, it's that state of, of being where you're right. You have your mind in a place where it's not inhibiting your neuromuscular movement, but at the same time, in terms of bioenergetics, it has to be those processes and those pathways, those biological, biochemical pathways that are generating energy, ATP, for your muscles and for all the cells of your body are, are just they are aligned. The stars are aligned metabolically inside the cells of your body where you are producing that ATP effortlessly, you're not wasting it you know, inefficiently, and you've got the, the neuromuscular pathways jiving with each other, the brain is not getting in the way, right? You're not uh, overthinking. Uh, that's, that's all part of being in the flow. You know, it's, it's that uh, unique place that uh, athletes that are at the top of their game, whether it's a, a fighter, uh, whether it's a tennis player, basketball player, you know, we all see them when they're in that state. And it's an out-of-body experience where you're right, you know, bioenergetically, things are just firing supremely efficiently producing that ATP that those those cells of your body need. And then, you know, when you think about it, um, when we watch an athlete uh, who's uh, becoming fatigued and they're tight, you know, they're throwing a punch and it's not really throwing, you know, it's, it's kind of caught in midair, you know, th that um, is the antithesis of, of peak flow and bioenergetics happening, right? And so, um, yeah, those things are, are directly aligned and, and being able to match that, being able to allow that, the neuromuscular, so the brain initiates all that movement um, and not to have it cluttered and then at the same time have those neuromuscular pathways fire to the appropriate muscles with the right degree of contraction and relaxation, that's being in the flow. And it's all intimately... I have to say, Jay, um, predicated on nourishment, how well you fuel your body with nutrition. So yep. if you don't have the right amount of those healthy oils, those healthy omega-3 fatty acids, for example, and those essential fats, um, providing the nourishment for the myelin sheath, and not to get too scientific here, but this is really important for an athlete. So around surrounding every one of our nerve fibers that are generated from the brain down into the spinal cord and those that innervate all the muscles of our body for any muscular activity, those are surrounded in a sheath called myelin, and that myelin is made up of fat. And if you don't have the appropriate nourishment feeding that myelin sheath, you're not going to have the right signal pathway, the right neuromuscular firing response going to those muscles to perform well. So I say it all the time, you know, shat was, um, shun was, um, fat was shunned for so many years and, and what an unfortunate, um, you know, that whole lipid hypothesis to disease and everything. Well, we know full well that um, without a healthy amount and type of, of fat coming in every single day and, and perhaps I would even argue almost every single meal that you're eating every day you're going to be compromising the, the firing of those uh, neurons, those nerve fibers that are innervating every muscle of your body and as a result impacting your ability to, to get into the flow. So no, I think, you know, I mean as, as much as it might have sound, sounded as a tangent it's directly related to the topic at hand. Yeah, it's interesting. The, the image that was coming to me when I was formulating my next question, was, you know, had to do with I was picturing in and out. I was picturing yin and yang, breathing. You know, we're we are intricately 
associated and related to our environment. We're part of our environment. There's in and out all the time. We're taking oxygen in, we're exhaling oxygen. We're taking food in, we're exhaling it. We're drink, we're taking liquids in and exhaling it. And and it's that cycle and how efficiently it does it, it seems, that would give us that flow state. And that is kind of, for me, a good way for me to try to picture bioenergetics is that is that cleanness with which the machine runs. It's like putting really clean oil in your car so it fires cleanly. It doesn't create a lot of sediment when it fires. Uh, I, I would agree 100% that that's exactly what's happening with bioenergetics and the, the in and out process and so yeah that's what we're really talking about here is, is uh, maximizing and understanding uh, what is going to allow for the most efficient in and absorption of those of those ideal optimal uh, nutrients into the cells of our body to allow the, the greatest out um, or performance that's exactly right yeah, and that's bioenergetics recap on on part one so that we can segue into another subject the recap if, if you if you're um, just looking for simple answers and you just say just tell me what to do and mm -hmm. and a lot of my viewers don't really care particularly about the science but they want accurate information so for those who just want to know what to do um, dr. Paul's takeaway is lots of small meals start with protein protein and oil in the morning, protein and oil and fiber, lots of liquid all throughout the day, keep the metabolism high, get that good oil in there and, and run cleanly. Was that a good uh, synopsis of of the bioenergetics and, and what to do nutritionally? Yeah, it is. It is. I, and I would add, uh, Jay, just the inclusion of those... Um, those appropriate so yeah I mean we can talk about hopefully in future segments the specific types of food that people want to uh, focus on and, and again you know different preferences for different people but I think that's uh, a future show but in terms of general application yeah the carbohydrate sources of those grain sources um, predominantly should be legume sources um, and then the green leafy vegetables and the colorful vegetables th those should be fairly abundant and that's our fiber source so you talk about fiber just to make it clear for people you know there's different sources of fiber of course there's um, grains that provide us fiber uh, there are legumes that provide fiber things like black beans and chickpeas and garbanzo beans you know for eating hummus um, and then there's um, also the, the of course the greatest source would be the, the abundance of, of healthy and fresh vegetables that we should be you know fueling our body with and as you notice I haven't necessarily emphasized fruit I think there's a time and place for fruit um, particularly fresh fruit and, and particularly in the form of berries because of their antioxidant rich uh, containing uh, properties but that should be saved in many cases for the after um, exercise after training nourishment um, because they are it's a little bit higher in, in uh, that simple sugar form and in that case when you need to fuel the muscles with with some necessary replenishment of those depleted um, energy stores in the form of glycogen then that's in the appropriate time I would say and I tell uh, we all do in my in my uh, consulting business with clients that we work with and in my own research study participants then it's acceptable to eat that uh, you know that fruit as a, as a source as well I'm going to ask you to um, stake your place in the battle that, that rages on. Uh, and uh, there's plenty of people who uh, are kind of a blend, but there's also plenty of people who are very prestigious and have really strong credentials, and they have staken their position on one in one camp. And I'm, I'm talking about the battle that's raging between vegetarians and the paleo crowd. You can listen to any doctor, any MD, any PhD on any given day, and they can make a case so strong for paleo or you know, conversely for vegetarianism that it's amazing that those two worlds can coexist at the same mm -hmm. time. Where do you where do you land in the whole paleo slash vegetarian debate? Yeah, so that's a good one. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing, <laughs> isn't it? It's amazing. Uh, I, I do. I have a pretty strong opinion about this, and um, you know, I, I, uh, there's benefit to both. But I'm going to stake it really clear here for us. Um, I'm a believer that there is some absolute, true, 
and real scientific evidence and physiological health benefit from from doing both and particularly in terms of let's talk about the paleo as an example so if you're going to if you're going to go paleo the the sources of that protein that should be consumed has to come from from grass fed um, I, I think there's little argument about that and so I do I, I, I'm outspoken about this and I believe it that um, when that source of, of animal protein we're gonna call it like it is animal protein is coming from a, a grass-fed animal and its natural habitat is possible uh, it's it's eating what we have ultimately want to eat and that's uh, foliage that's greens that contain omega-3 rich fatty acids it's fiber um, you know it's it's an abundance of really healthy nutrients so um, absolutely I think they can coexist believe it or not so you can eat that healthy source of, of animal protein as long as it's coming from uh, an animal source that has consumed what you want it to and that would be the, the Foliage, the green grass, the abundant fields that's um, you know in nature, um, and we have those sources. We have you know whey protein that's derived from animals that have fed their entire life on on uh, roaming in the in the green pastures. So yeah, it it can happen for sure. And I would say if you want to go paleo, that's your your place. Now you know in terms of fish, you want to obviously stay wild fish. You want to have the fish that's from the ocean that's predominantly um, you know of, of fatty origin. You know the tuna. Uh, the salmon, the mackerel, the sardines, krill, I mean those are all you know top-notch in terms of uh, animal sources. And I, I don't think that there's um, uh, kind of a, an argument or um, an incongruency, that's a better word, I don't think there's an incongruency of, of eating paleo and then providing a, a, a significant source of your nourishment from vegetation um, and we know that, right? You have to consume those green leafy vegetables. Now, can you do one or the other? Well, well clearly not. You can't survive solely on, on animal meat. We have, you know, some cultures that um, have, have done it, uh, you know, for periods of time and, and um, their bodies have adapted to it, um, but clearly uh, the vast majority of us need that balance of, of animal meat, uh, animal protein, if we're going to go paleo with some of those, um, some of those greens. And, and can you eat vegetation? Can you eat only vegetarian and and get the protein that you need? You can. We've talked about this. You know, there are athletes out there that are quite successful that um, avoid animal-based products, but still perform at a very high level. But you have to be very vigilant. You have to be a real sleuth when it comes to making sure that the protein sources that you're reading are as close to complete proteins as possible when you complement those vegetable sources, so those grains. So pea protein, for example, hemp protein, um, making sure that your legumes are matched with your grains. So uh, I don't know if that, that you know, drove the stake in the ground there, but um, you know, I, I think it can definitely happen in, in a real um, healthy manner. Yeah, so two comments on that on my part. Yeah, we have two outstanding athletes that come to my mind in, a, in my sport of mixed martial arts who are vegetarians who perform extremely well. Jake Shields and Mac Danzig, both vegetarians, and they win fights, and they compete at the highest level uh, in our sport. And they would say, uh, you know, that eating animal products, um, you know, and I don't know what their philosophical bent is on eating animal products and why they don't. But one of the comments is um, that you know, animal fat, animal animal cholesterol is what actually clogs up the arteries. And if you look at vegetarians or vegans, they have much cleaner pipes. How how would uh, someone in the paleo community respond to that? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a great source of controversy because. Uh, you know the link between uh, animal. Uh, let's give an example. Uh, you know, eggs have been thrown under the bus a number of times about their contribution to uh, blood cholesterol, and you know the evidence is is not as strong as we once uh, believed it to be. That um, you know dietary cholesterol uh, contributes directly to blood cholesterol, um, and that's because of the the interplay between exogenous dietary cholesterol coming in through food that we've eaten and that which is appearing inside of our bloodstream. And we know that individuals that um, eat less dietary cholesterol, their bodies manufacture more cholesterol on its own. So whether there's that direct link between uh, really healthy 
grain, uh, grass, sorry, grass-fed sources of, of animal meat in this case, animal protein and, and dietary cholesterol, I think is still up for debate. I don't, I don't know if we have that um, answer. I, I, I wouldn't want to go on record as saying that um, uh, that's a known fact. That uh, if you're eating a, you know, really pure source of, of grass-fed beef, that that's going to uh, contribute to an elevation in your blood cholesterol. I mean. I, I don't know that evidence. Um, I, have, I haven't seen it. So that would be one response. Uh, we do know, however, that a higher intake of trans fatty acids and hydrogenated fatty acids, in some cases that are derived from vegetable sources, a classic example, of course, is uh, margarine, right? So when we hydrogenate margarine or we, when we trans, uh, uh, trans fatty acid alter certain foods, um, certain fats, that is a, a much greater source of increasing blood cholesterol in a human and contributing to heart disease than I would say uh, an animal source, you know, a grass-fed uh, source of animal meat. So I'm going to go on record on saying that. That I, that, that I think we have pretty compelling scientific evidence with. So that would be my one take. And again, I'm not, um, listen, you know, uh, in terms of uh, following a, a vegan-style diet, I, I fully support that. Um, fully support that for people. You just, like I said before, have to be real. Um, you have to be a real sleuth. You have to know exactly what you need to to do on a regular basis. And, and these guys are highly intelligent. And there's many others that follow that um, that also are successful. And, and they they know how to combine the appropriate vegetable sources, plant-based sources of protein uh, to provide them the nourishment that their muscles need to activate protein synthesis. So it can be done, it's just more challenging and you have to really commit to it. If I raise my blood sugar and, and create a, um, a blood triglyceride level that is, not, uh, that is not favorable to health, would that turn a good fat bad? So if I was eating lots of clean protein and, and omega-3s, but then I ate a bowl of cereal with it. Is that what could possibly be the disconnect between the two camps? Uh, it could very well be. Yeah, it could very well be that, um, you know, that combination of, of eating really clean uh, vegan plant-based sources and then you throw in a, a grain or, uh, you know, a, a refined fruit juice of some type then yeah, I mean that's going to skyrocket triglycerides. We see that all the time, and that's you know it's it's a very good point. I like that because when you think about um, you know a, a non-fat food source altering a, a, a physiological internal um, uh, blood fat source such as triglycerides, I mean that's a classic example, right? I mean people that have a higher intake of of refined fruit juice sources. Um, are oftentimes those with the highest levels of triglyceride, and sometimes it's baffling because they're thinking, "Geez, you know, I'm eating, you know, a relatively clean, fat-free diet, and here my triglycerides are going through the roof." So, yeah, we can alter, um, and, and uh, you know, so we we brought up two good examples of that. That uh, you, know, you have to be smart about how you're going to eat vegan or vegetarian um, to stay healthy, because uh, sometimes you have some hidden sources of, of unhealthy uh, food that uh, infiltrate the body and actually contribute to a higher state of disease than those that are following something like the you know a more paleo based diet yeah great examples yeah yeah no that's a good feedback I appreciate it that liver loves producing triglycerides you know when you've got that uh, flood of refined fructose coming into your body mmm now well, uh, this has been a real education on the uh, on nutrition and, and the physiology and the science of nutrition. Uh, one of the other uh, areas of specialty uh, special uh, specialty areas uh, that you have uh, is in the exercise testing and prescription space. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, so yeah, as as you read off at the beginning of the show, uh, I also have degrees in uh, physiology of exercise, and it's one I'm passionate about. In fact, um, I can't wait to explore this with you, Jay, further because I'm of the school that right now. So I'm a fellow in the American College of Sports Medicine. Woo! Um, I'm a <laughs> I'm a I'm a, <laughs> I'm a fellow in the Obesity Society. So here I am in two of the leading organizations in the world that um, send out public health messages, by the way, frequently. Uh, I'm also a board member of the American Heart Association in the Capital Region. So, you know, I serve on some fairly prominent um, 
uh, organizations, health organizations that are leading the way um, and leading the charge in educating the public on how to be healthier. So on that topic, I'm of the of the strong belief that right now our public health message when it comes to exercise training and prescription is over the top extreme. And let me explain. Right now what we have as recommendations to engage in aerobic exercise, resistance exercise, high intensity exercise, uh, flexibility, balance type exercise. Um, it's, it's excessive for a lot of people. We know the host of programs that are made public um, you know, through various uh, you know, mail order or, or um, internet um, and, and media hyped and driven that uh, really put people over the top in terms of what they feel is expected of them to perform on a regular daily basis almost in, in many cases to exhaustion. And so what I'm talking about are these extreme exercise programs that are, are predicated on holding people hostage to a level of exercise that is in some cases beyond what a full-time trained elite athlete does, right? I mean, we all know full-time full elite trained athletes having you know played at a high level. Myself, I still compete on a, on a national basis in tennis. You can't afford to deplete and to tax your body daily at a, at a level uh, that exhausts it. It's just not going to have enough time to, to recover. So I'm glad you asked that question because um, just as, as uh, um, I guess, directed I can be with nutritional recommendations, I'm perhaps even more so with exercise, that I think we need to reevaluate the ideal remedy, the ideal amount of exercise um, that is required to confer optimal health and performance for people. So it's not what we think it is. It's not sometimes what we hear through the media waves. Um, and so I, I'm excited to talk about that. I have um, my own exercise protocol that I've, uh, I've tested in the laboratory that I've consulted with my, uh, my consulting business, uh, Nourishing Science, uh, to thousands of people with, with really uh, impressive and powerful results. And so I'm excited to share it with the listeners and to particularly um, athletes that are on their journey to uh, peak performance. I know there's two schools of camp, maybe more than that, but the two that I'm uh, familiar with are sort of what I'll call the grinders, who are the, the people who go out and, you know, do marathons and they, they love it, they get the endorphins and, you know, they'll go out and run 10 miles a day and then train, you know, for a marathon or even an ultra marathon. Um, and then there are those who are more of the explosive style who say you can go in to the gym and if you do 15 or 20 minutes right, have much better results than a grinder who is training for three, four, five hours a day. Yeah. And, of course, the famous picture that's going around, I don't know if you've ever seen this picture, but there's a picture of two runners. One is a marathon runner, and he looks almost like a genocide victim. He has no flesh on his body at all. And then they put a sprinter next to him who is absolutely jacked. So clearly the person who's putting that picture out is in favor of the explosive type of exercise. Yeah. But where do you fall in, oh, in those man, two camps? Jay, these are awesome questions. And this is what I love. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm from my heart now. I'm speaking from my heart because this is the essence of what I do. This is the essence of what I do. I love that question. Here's where I fall. You need both. But you need to do it with uh, the balance of what your ultimate goal is in mind. So if you want to be able to, uh, you know, run on the beach, I'm thinking of, you know, <clears throat> a grandmother or grandfather. And this is who sometimes I, I consult with regularly. You know, if they want to be able to enjoy their time with their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren on the beach and take a walk, throw a Frisbee, you know, play Kadima, whatever it is that they want to do on the beach, um, they need to have that balance in mind. Whereas that elite trained athlete, I was a consultant for uh, a professional hockey team 20 miles north of here um, that were an affiliate of the Philadelphia Flyers. And that was great joy. You know, I'm trying to get these guys to maximize that explosive power. And even no matter who it was, the grandmother, the grandfather, or the elite trained, Olymp uh, elite, uh, elite trained, trained professional hockey player, you need a balance of both of those. So you can't do one or the other. That's going to create an imbalance in the body. It's going to cause a disharmony in the body. And so uh, this protocol that I've devised, you need both, and I'll tell you why. Yes, you could train like the sprinter and have that awesome cut, ripped, um, you know, muscular body, but you'd be missing out on one of the most favorable benefits that occurs 
from an endurance, aerobic, steady state bout of exercise. We know we have convincing scientific evidence that shows that when you perform a submaximal bout of exercise of 60 minutes or longer, <clears throat> you are opening up your endorphin receptors in your brain and allowing them to be flooded with those endorphins that are being released. And so that puts you in that state of euphoria, that natural high. Now imagine if I were to say, Jay, listen, the only way to get that body and to get that physique that we all want is to do that highly explosive trained exercise. That would be completely naive and, and in many ways ignorant on my part. So you can achieve that body, but man, if you don't have that regular aerobic, sustained, low level, 60% of maximum, because that is what maximally increases brain blood flow, and miss out on those endorphins that are raging through the brain at that level of exercise, well, that would be unfortunate. Well, I'll tell you, I, I think I know where your sweet spot is because I saw you light up on that question, and that's, uh, that is clearly uh, your ballywick. That's your, that's your middle lane right there, and, and you feel so passionate about it. There's so much more that I wanted to get to, but we've run out of time. Uh, he has a master's from Purdue University in biological science, exercise physiology, a master's from the University of Vermont in nutritional sciences, a doctorate in the physiology of exercise, and of course he earned his postdoctoral fellowship from Washington University School of Medicine. Uh, it has been such a treat, Paul. Uh, thank you for spending time with us today. Jay, it's been a pleasure. And, and like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful and excited about uh, future shows with you. Yeah, we're definitely definitely going to bring you back because you're you're right in our middle lane. Uh, you know, this is exactly the type of conversations we want to be having: high-end, cutting-edge uh, conversations about nutrition and exercise for our viewers. So, thanks for being with us. Thank you. All right, I'm Jay Adams. Thank you for joining us in our quest to go right at life, clear-headed and shredded. We'll see you next time. For our full schedule of fights on the NBC Sports Network, CW and ABC affiliates, visit unitedfightalliance.com. United Fight Alliance. United, we fight.